Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. We've been in a series of learning to live loved by God. I was taught many things through the years about what my faith meant for me, how to master things, how to get delivered from things, how to deliver other people from things, how to fix things, how to do it uh, harder, faster, jump higher, and do more backflips than ever imaginable. And uh, very few people uh, that I hear that taught me how to live loved and how to, that very song that we're singing, to to live in the love of God and to have shame removed. It's a, a that last song that we did, that's a new one, and I, it ties in with this morning, so I'm very glad. So this is our scripture that we've used uh, throughout this series, and I want us to read it, but I want us to read it aloud this morning together, and uh, we'll do both parts. We'll get to the second part. So would you say with me, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Lord, shine your word into our hearts. Bring illumination. Bring an understanding that we haven't been able to grasp before. Spark something in us, in our thoughts and our ideas about your love and about what remains, what we know in part and what we can know more fully. Let it be life unto us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. What an incredible passage of scripture. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Historically in the church, these are 
called the three theological virtues. We've looked at the other virtues and, and what they are. They're virtues that work within our character in how we follow God. But these three are theological in that they are generated from God and they're a gift from God. You know, I've heard it said so many times, do you have the gift of faith? Well, if I do, the gift came from God. I can't generate faith on my own. No matter how many times I say the words, I believe, I believe, I believe, unless that faith comes from God, it's not a gift, and then it becomes a work. So it's so interesting that this chapter on love that's normally only used at weddings, you know, you, you uh, put a head trip on a young couple about how they're supposed to love each other, and they don't, they don't even know anything about themselves yet. So no offense to anybody that's just getting married. So you'll, you'll hear me in 25 or 30 years. Faith, hope, and love. But we can, we can know more of these because we know in part. So we can learn what faith is. We can learn what hope is. We can learn what love of God is. And we're designed by God to do that. God wants you to know more and more every day that he loves you. He loves you. Well, it's a one-string violin if you speak about it all the time. It's the best sound you'll ever hear because it's the one that will change your life. All of my changes um, have come through God's love. No other place. No other idea. It all came through God's love. Um. It establishes for each of us, last week we looked at the keeping power of God's love, that the Lord is my keeper. And we looked at all that, we even did the number 623 thing, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, and what keep means. And so if you need to catch up, you can go back, on. I got, I got it up last night, I was kind of remiss because I was doing other stuff this week, and uh, so I didn't get it up till last night, but it's teachings up there. But look at the Lord, my keeper, and what it means to that. It, all of this is not how well you love God. This is based in how well God loves you, and his intent is to keep you in his love. So everything he's trying to show you works through God's love. Of all the things that we doubt, we, th we think we're doubting about life, but what we're really doubting is that God's love is there to take us through life. Um, I went and saw Randy Fulmer the other night, and he, he asked me a question that he had heard me talk about uh, a while back, and that's that we were taught escapism prayers. And he said, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean by that, if you wondered that, is when you have difficult circumstances, we either fight the devil, he's, the devil is attacking me because things are going wrong around me, or we try to get God to make the problem go away. So we pray prayers, Lord, remove this from me. Instead of praying the prayers, God, show me what to do as we go through this. You're with me in this. Step by step, show me. Hold my hand. I don't want to be in this boat alone. Oh, I don't have to be. Oh my gosh, you're here. Oh my gosh, you live inside of me. You know what's going on before I even tell you what I think what's going on. Because he knows fully. Right now, he knows everything about it. So what those escapism prayers have a tendency to do is that we get focused, 
and this, this is what I've seen a lot of, this isn't a, so in saying this, I'm not, I don't want to castigate anybody, but we get most of our attention in our lives bent on being fixed by God. I want God to fix me. I want this removed from my life, and I never want this temptation ever again. How'd that work for you? How many of you believe you're fixed? I'm fixed. You're fixed. God fixed you. He saved you. You're a completely different person. He doesn't want to make you into something that's not you. He wants you to be in him, in Christ, to be the perfect you. He sees you through his son, never alone. When we say I have to be fixed by God, we're seeing ourselves alone, separate from being in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it later, but uh, when that <laughs> is the approach to God, uh, it causes us to be limited into learning to live loved. Um, it changes our perspective when we realize that the fix is in. It really does. Much of my Christian life, so I gotta, I re, gotta read a little bit to you this morning, so it's not really a blog, but this is just what I wrote down in thinking about it in my own life. Much of my Christian life and what I've seen and still see others go through was an around the mountain experience. Failure, guilt, shame. When I failed, when I couldn't do what I was told I needed to do to be okay, then guilt came in because I wasn't doing it well enough. And then this nasty thing called shame got on top of my guilt. Because if my identity was guilt and I'm bad and wrong and I need fixing, then what's going to follow it? The shame of who I am. Spiritually, it kept me from maturing and made me relate to God and to others from a shame-based identity. Uh, if you could hear the conversations through the years of Brenda and I talking about this, because we have very different personalities. Have you noticed? <laughs> and we have very different approaches within our character and how God hardwired us and loved each of us in our personality. My shame caused me to fight and fly to get out of there, to hide, to become a hider. Her shame caused her to achieve. She's good at things. She's really good at a lot of stuff. She's a brilliant artist, and she could, and, and being successful in that helped her. Oh, but the identity of hiding and trying to prove something, who was I trying to prove it to? To God, after I became a believer. I was trying to prove to God myself and others that I had value of course I had value he gave his son for me and it was just like you can't see it when shame is that is that veil over your eyes you 
you can't see your true value. So you keep trying to convince God of something he already knew from the very beginning. You were already his idea. You already had value. Great value. You were his pocket change. He kept you close. He never walked away. It's hard to see when you're full of shame. I was not learning to live love, but rather stuck operating on a fault line of always needing to be fixed. I, I spent, oh, I wrestled with this for so many years while I was leading other young men and women how to get fixed. Try that on for size. You feel like a hypocrite half the time and you're going, I'm telling them stuff that it says it happens, but I don't know if it really happens or not. Guess I'll fake it till I make it. Look at my mask. I'm fine. How are you? This is how we're supposed to do it. Everything's great in my life. And inside was hidden fear. Did I believe God loved me? Yes and no. I believed that God loved me and wanted me to be Christ-like so that it would help fix others. Isn't that a call to ministry? That's, all we're, that's why we have home groups, to fix each other, right? Just hitting home. That's not why we have home groups. It's not why we have anything. Did I love God? Yes! But it was never quite good enough to really change me or fix me. Lord, if you'll just pour out your love to me more, if I could just love them better, they'll be a different person. That wasn't my job. I didn't make their nose. I didn't make their nose hairs. I wouldn't have made nose hairs now that I have them at my age. <laughs> Deep down in my heart, I kept a hidden axiom. If I can't get fixed, then no one else can, and they must be pretending because maybe they're really not fixed either. And I called that church. Ooh. Oh, were you like me? Shame ensued out of that. Who's really okay and who's not okay? Gossip that we talked about, well, it's leadership, so you have to understand what people are going through. So we shared it with each other. <sighs> you see, shame is empowered by a fear of something. It's the fear of being discovered. All of shame, see, I, I always thought shame came from sin. Now, shame can come from sin by passage of guilt and then condemnation, and you can feel shame for that. But the shame of identity is different. I heard it for years trying to figure out how do we get through to this right identity? How do I be, teach them how to be Christ-like? How, how do I get myself there and get others there? And it was this pattern of doing things that really said, I'm going to fix it on the outside, but it was the inside that I desperately knew needed fixing, not understanding I'd already had the inside fixed. The shame was such a lie. Came out with things like this. 
well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. You know how many times I've heard that through the years? If you knew what I was really like, and then you fill in the blank afterwards of what works in your personality or your character or how you deal with life. And shame is this also. It's a horrible coin of measurement. What shame tells me on one side of the coin is you will never measure up. On the other side of the coin, it tells me that I'm doing better, this, better at this than others. Shame can come out in pride, a reverse icky kind of pride that's always trying to prove how great I am and convince that, yeah, pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. When most of us turned to Jesus and he became Savior, and life to us, uh, what really became the issue, when I became a Christian, all the stuff I had to learn was uh, what sin did. And so I learned a lot of sin management techniques of how to battle it, how to make sure I stayed away from it, how it couldn't get a hold of me if I did certain stuff. And in my heart of hearts, I would have never admitted this 25 years ago, that I was a legalist. I would go, no, I'm not. I totally believe in grace. I was saved by it. I, I did all this. Uh, but I also knew that what I was taught was my sin. It separated me from God, and I felt guilt for it, even after I was a believer. And so I would say these prayers at night. I didn't even, for years, I didn't even let Brenda know. Did you say carte blanche prayers before you went to sleep? Oh, God, if I did anything today that was wrong, would you please, God, wash that out of my life? And I am so sorry. And, oh, the stuff I didn't do. Not just the stuff I did, but if I didn't do what I was supposed to do this day, sins of omission and commission, oh God, forgive me of that one all too, because I want to wake in your presence in the morning. And it was this, like, you guys are all looking at me real funny. Do you know this? Are you familiar with it? You can still, listen, you can be a grace person and fall back into the trap of this, because it's what we learned. And it's hard to unlearn things. What I didn't realize, it was the law that identified sin. It's the love and death of a Savior who paid the penalty, not just for the sin, but for the guilt of the sin. When you sin, you feel guilty. You should. You're wrong. When, when you sin, you're doing it wrong, you should feel guilt. But there's only one resolution for that. You have a Savior who died and set you free of it. What if I forget to confess something? You know what? If you come to God and change the idea that you don't need to be fixed, that he fixed you, your prayers become much different. And you have your conscience cleansed. Because my conscience can testify against me when I do something wrong. It should. And that's the time to run to Jesus and say, Oh God, wash me of that and cleanse me of that. That's a good confession. But set free? Set free from shame? It was grace that set me free. 
It was God's grace that saved me. Grace is the expression of God's love. It appears 122 times in the New Testament. The word grace happens. 122 times. It is the gospel of grace that freed me from sin and from guilt. Therefore, guess what it will also do? Free me from shame. Look at what Ephesians 2 really says. It's so wonderful. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when... Think about this, because this is talking about you and I. Paul's writing this through the Holy Spirit to you and I this morning. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. If you notice, all these things come in Christ Jesus, so the gift of his love come to us. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You can't generate faith to get saved. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The fix is in. Was from the beginning. From the day you received Christ, the fix was in. Here's two great truths, and we, we, we don't look at this very often, about what happened. This is why it's so important. If you haven't yet told Jesus that you believe that he died for you, and that he was raised from the dead for you, and that if you call on him to be your Lord, you're saved. That's what's given to us in Romans. It's, it's there so clearly. Look at these two great truths. Now, these are either if these great truths aren't true all the time, then should you question your salvation? Well, I want assurance, don't you? I'm not telling you you should question it. But oh my gosh, get assured in your heart over these two things. Here's, here's the first one. We receive a new nature or identity, not based in shame. When you receive Christ, you get a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. That means they're dead. Behold, all things have become new. That's you. If something's old, it needs fixing. If something's new, it doesn't need fixing. If it does, it's not new. To be fixed means it's old. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at Colossians 1. To them God willed, what's God's will? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. When you received a new identity, a new nature, a new being, that was Christ. You received him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. If I could truly, truly take the veil off your eyes this morning, and if you could see me in Christ, you would start singing worship songs. Yeah. But that's true of you if Christ is in you. If I could see, that, and that's why Paul said it's really important that we no longer know people after the flesh, that I know you after Christ, because I will treat you so differently. Because I'll see you in your new identity, not your old fixable one. So here's the second truth. We receive the Holy Spirit in us. Romans 8, 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. I used to beat myself up with these scriptures at the beginning of Romans 8. Now I live in them because it's such joy. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We keep trying to fix something that's dead. From what I've seen of funerals, it doesn't work. You can dress them up, but you're not going to fix that body. It's dead. Dead, dead, dead. That's morbid. Yes. We have a tendency through our shame to play with morbid things. Is it? It's not sad to God, it's sad to us and and our hearts. I hope this is making sense. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. God was raised, it says in Romans, for your justification. Salvation didn't raise me to justification. Christ rising from the dead gave me justification. He triumphed over the thing that needed to be fixed. There was only one way to fix it. He had to die for it and then was raised to new life. Now you can be. He is the first among many brethren. He leads us in this. And by the way, it says later, and he's not ashamed to call us that. There's no shame in him. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now here's a head knocker. Whatever happened this week, whatever went on, whatever you did right or wrong, is Christ in you? What does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm fully alive. And guess what? 
I'm okay. I don't need to be fixed. I'm fixed. What I need to do is mature in having been fixed. I want to grow. I need to learn to be loved. I want to get better in knowing God, and I want, I want to help others in doing that. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, I worked at it for years. I can't fix you. Tell me what to do, Pastor. I had one guy years ago just begged me. He said, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I said, nope, that makes me your God. That doesn't work. I said, because when it doesn't happen, you're going to be mad at me. And I don't want you to be mad at me. So no, I can't tell you what to do. Telling other people what to do doesn't fix them. It makes them mad at you and they will quit being your friend eventually. Help me with this. Cast this demon out of me. Well, pretty soon they won't even be your friends six months from now. Why? Because they're filled with shame. They tried to let the mask down, and now they're not sure if they can trust you. Owie. Why? Because they have a pattern of learning that that's what happens. Ow. That isn't what church is about. Well, do you still have some brokenness? Not in Christ, but in the way I do things, yeah. But I'm learning. I'm maturing. I'm learning how to live loved. Faith that co-partnered with grace to save us, fixed us. We can't get fixed any other way. There's no other way to get fixed. Shame is a liar and a thief that tries to steal and hinder us from actually maturing us. Because shame makes us focused on the wrong thing, which is, I'm broken and I'm no good. That's a lie. Are you new? I am. It took me a long time of first God telling me that he liked me, a long time before I even learned to like myself. God liked me long before I liked me. It was a real, it was such a struggle in my life. What matured you? When I believed that God loved me and I started trusting that what the word said was about me, not for me to use to get fixed, but it was how he saw me. The the things that Paul was writing described me. They said, this is what I am now. The other stuff, the sin part, he says, of which some of you were. I were not that anymore. I'm brand new. It's a phenomenal thing. Shame tells me I still have to be fixed. Trust tells me that God is at work in my life. I can mature in that. Listen to how John Lynch puts it. I'm going to read to you from The Cure. If you've never read that book, you get taught out of that book probably all year long because I've read it like eight times now and and then I look the scriptures up because it's helped revolutionize my ability to walk without shame. So John writes, there's an incredible phrase in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. This statement shows us the path we must take. Only by trusting can we truly please God. Do you hear that? 
only by trusting, even trusting in my new creation, that's how I truly please God. If our primary motive is pleasing God, we'll never please him enough and we'll never learn to trust. Pleasing God is a good desire. I have it right now. I, I want to do that. I am doing that. It just can't be the primary motivation in your life or it'll imprison your heart because it's a measurement that you can't ever live up to because you're trying to do it instead of living to the identity that you already have. It's a trick. That's, you know, I know I've used this in the past, but it's like, what's, it's that weird Admiral Fishhead from Star Wars years ago. It's a trap. <laughs> Beloved, it's a trap. The enemy tries to trap us by getting us sealed in a shame-based identity. Not expressing our new creativity in Christ. I'm new. Oh, how he loves you and me. Not because we're broken, because we're new. He does love the broken way better than I do. But he loves the new. And he wants you to, to quote Adele, he wants you to roll in the deep of that. <laughs> he wants you to get very comfortable in how he feels about you. It just can't be our primary motivation or it'll imprison our hearts. If we all bring to God, if all we bring to God is our moral striving, we're back at the same lie that put us in need of salvation. That's probably seventh sermons right there. We're stuck with our independent talents, longing and resolve to make it happen. This self-sufficient effort to assure a distant deity Actually, he, he writes this, so I didn't write that. It, it nauseates God. When, we're, when our primary motive becomes trusting God, however, we suddenly discover there is nothing in the world that pleases him more. He delights in you waking up going, everything's going wrong around me, but I trust you, God. Oh, didn't fix the problem, but it put you back to where you were fixed. And now you're going to trust God that he's with you in it. That pleases him more. At that point, pleasing God is actually a byproduct of trusting God. Pleasing is not a means to our godliness. It's the fruit of our godliness. That, that was when I said, oh God, what, what's the trick here? G give it to me. He says, well, trust me. There's, there's no trick to it I already did something in your life you did yeah you're mine and I'm yours and that instead of trying to be righteous in order to have a relationship with God I had a relationship to God therefore I was righteous if you don't see yourself as a righteous person I, I promise you there will be come pretty soon a circumstance of life that will prove to you that you're unrighteous. It will lie to you because it will touch the shame part of your life that's a familiar friend. It's an ugly dog. Some people like dogs. Some people adore dogs. But that's an ugly dog. That dog got off the ugly truck and he's going to be ugly his whole life and he bites you. 
He's not a good one. Shame makes us hide from God and others. Remember, it's the fear of discovery. Shame loves legalism because shame measures you against others. Shame causes me to self-protect. What, an, what a lying word self-protect is. Oh. Shame drives me to work on my sin rather than seeing myself as having died to sin. You can't manage sin. There was only one cure for sin, Christ dying. It's the way God made. There is no other way. We've believed this shame-based lie that tells me when I come into the kingdom, now I have to prove to God that I'm not going to sin anymore. But he died for that. So that he, and the life he now lives, he lives to God. That's the invitation to us. It's Romans 6 over and over again. God is interested in my maturing. And I've found this, that it can only take place through the gift of faith, hope, and love. Those gifts from God is what matures me. God isn't just willing to partner with me. Well, he puts up with me because he's God and but he's really partnered with me. God's really partnered with you. Don't go to other people to talk, find out what God's saying. Ask him. You ask him. In 1 John it says, the same anointing rests with you because the Holy Spirit's in me. You don't have need that I teach you. Though it's fun to do. At least it is for me. Ask the Holy Spirit. Just have a conversation with him about him. Well, he talks to others and not to me. Well, that came from shame, didn't it? I'm not good enough. I don't measure up to hear God. Really? When he said, my sheep hear my voice? When he promised in John 14, I will make myself known to those who follow me? The part of maturing is God wants to make himself known to you. What if I miss it and get it wrong? That's shame-based language again. It's a comparison. What if I get it wrong? It says continual thing. God is with you to help you. He's your helper. That's the Name for the Holy Spirit is the helper. I will send the helper. He will be with me in every high and every low. He is my reality. He loves me unconditionally. This is how I used to teach this. Now, Carrie Rowe was with me back then, so she will affirm all this. I, what Paul does too. God loves us unconditionally with conditions. I taught that. You were taught that. God loves you if make sure there's nothing that's separating you from God. Did you miss a sin that you forgot that you did two months ago? Did you take a nickel that you shouldn't have? God loves me unconditionally. He has justified me forever. I am as justified and a righteous person today as on the day that I am fully known. It's just I don't know it yet. 
It says, I will know fully like I am fully known. I, I need to mature. I don't, I don't know how righteous I am. You smell like Jesus. You look like Jesus. You act like Jesus. Now I'm starting to mature. But I kept you a little long, but it's okay, right? Well, three of you said so. The rest of you are going to sit here or make, make yourself shameful by getting up and leaving early. Shame on you. Look at this. This is what shame does. Shame results in bitterness. No one matures in bitterness. No, you can't mature, you can't grow up in Christ if you're bitter about things. Shame is that something didn't go the way you want, somebody didn't treat you right, and now you're bitter about that situation. Let go of that. Go, Lord, this is affecting my conscience and my view of myself. It causes me to walk in shame. Shame causes isolation. No one gets free in isolation. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am being matured, but I'm not perfect. Have you noticed? Things can squeak out of me and come out the wrong way. One of my biggest fears is that I'm standing up here talking in front of other people. What if I say a word I shouldn't say? Oh, then would you still love me if I did? By the way, there's a whole ministry based around that guy. Shame caught, and he does the word. Shame causes self-protection. No one loves or gets loved through self-protection. Self-protection is a lie. Especially when it comes to God. God knows everything about you. Lord, I have to tell you something that, about me. Lord, last night I, he goes, yeah, no, I was there. I used to tell young couples this when they were dating. You know the Holy Spirit's with you on that date. Oh, I used to lay such a trip on them. I, I did like to have fun with playing with people, with legalism. Just didn't like it for myself. Shame limits trust. No one learns to grow in mistrust. If you don't trust what God's doing, you're not going to grow from it. It's an impossibility. It doesn't work. God, get me out of here. Well, if you're someplace you shouldn't be and there's temptation, then yeah, feet don't fail me now. It says to run away from it. But if it's, if it's because you can't trust God with a difficult situation, including difficult conversations, like the one that goes to weird Uncle Henry and says, I have something I need to say to you. You remember back when I was 12? A hard conversation, right? Built in your shame. Ugh. Shame cannot abide with humility. Humility and grace are linked in the scriptures. So you can't, you can't tell God, oh God, I'm the worst one ever. That's not humble. No, I'm not. I'm a new creation. That has nothing to do with humility. Humility is seeing myself as God sees me. 
in fullness. It's linked. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace to grow up and mature, which is the expression of God's love to you, oh my gosh, so you just tell me, oh God, love on me better today. Let me see another glimpse of how much you love me. Show me again the manner in which you gave yourself for me. Let me see it. Let me think about it. Hey, God, and pray a really dangerous prayer. Don't let me get away from this. Most dangerous prayer I've prayed my whole life was, God, don't leave me alone. He answered it. He never left me alone and stuck. I had to unstuck some stuff that I was stuck with. Oh, man. He didn't leave me alone. I'm still growing and learning. Because in here, we know in part, so God wants us to mature so that I know more. So that you know more. God knows everything about you. You don't. You don't know everything about you. You're supposed to learn about God so you learn about you, so that you learn about you, so that you learn about God. They're linked in humility and grace. Let's pray. God, grant grace and favor, that which we sang, under our hearts this morning. Lord, for everybody who knows this shame base so well, Lord, interrupt. Do something what others would call unbelievable, unimaginable. Let us see ourselves the way you see us. Bring it into clear focus, God. My lens gets unfocused. Would you bring me back into focus? Would you help me to joy in those two truths, the joy of my salvation and the joy of your presence in my life? Let me me just lounge around in it and rest in it. This day, this week, Lord, I pray this dangerous prayer for all of us. Don't let us get very far from these scriptures. Take one of these scriptures and harness, lasso our hearts into how you want us to grow. We'll give you praise and honor and glory because you're the one. You fixed me. You fixed me, God. And I receive it and I bless you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Love on each other as you go.